0: hello welcome to on the agenda podcast i'm your host ella garen a non-binary mental health nurse from the uk for returning listeners thank you very much for tuning in again and for new listeners welcome to the podcast don't forget to subscribe via your podcast app to make sure you catch each episode as they come out we are now available on more platforms so you can find us on spotify soundcloud stitcher and anchor and they will all be linked in the description box Last week, BBC released a panorama documentary called Trans Kids Why Medicine Matters and I wanted to discuss both its merits and the problems from it. I believe it's important to watch all documentaries critically, understanding potential biases or misinformation. If you haven't seen the programme yet, I would recommend finding it on iPlayer. However, if you're not in the UK, I'm not sure whether or not you can find clips on YouTube or other sites and maybe have a dig around. As a keen academic and aspiring researcher, I will be including information and statistics from relevant scientific studies. I aim to present them in a digestible and understandable way, as I hope this will help you all to understand the scale of topics raised in the documentary. I'm also thinking of doing more research-based episodes, such as debunking myths using the evidence found in academic literature, so I would greatly appreciate anyone letting me know whether or not you'd like that. You can always tweet me at gendermhnurse or use the hashtag on the agenda to have your say, as this podcast is more for your benefit than my own. On with the podcast. The programme starts by introducing Dr Faye Kirkland, a GP and freelance journalist. She states that gender identity healthcare is a relatively new area in medicine, which is fairly true considering most common medicinal practices have been going on for hundreds of years, while as we found out back in episode 8 in Christine Jorgensen's case, in the Western world transaffirmative healthcare only really began in the 20th century. Von Kraft Ebbing's book, *Psychopathia Sexualis, published in 1886, is considered one of the first pathologizations of trans identity, making this area fairly new medically, considering the vaccine was developed in the mid-1700s. However, I really want to stress that being trans is not new in itself, with many culturally diverse trans and non-binary identities being recognized for many hundreds of years, such as the Hydra of India and South Asia, and two-spirited people among Native Americans. Dr Kirkland explains how GPs are so ill-equipped to deal with the specialist care of transgender children. A view held by Dr Ben Vincent, who reported in his book, Transgender Health, A Practitioner's Guide to Binary and Non-Binary Trans Patients' Care, that was published in 2018, many GPs feel under-equipped due to lack of specific knowledge. Faye is absolutely correct in this as numerous research papers have found GPs, nurses and basically any clinicians to be unable to effectively deal with the specific needs of transgender service users, not to mention transgender children. LGBT plus charity Stonewall found in 2015 that 72% 72 of patient-facing staff received no training on LGBT plus health needs or appropriate language. The same report found 24% of clinicians with direct involvement in patient care, such as nurses and doctors, do not feel confident responding to trans health needs. Something really positive from the documentary is that they included trans people in this, such as Jade and Reuben, as well as clips from YouTube of Ellen Stevenson and Jamie Rains, who is known as Jamie Dodger. Both are well-known trans YouTubers. I shouldn't really be surprised by this, as if you have to tell a story, the best person to do so is the one experiencing it firsthand, straight from the horse's mouth. However, with numerous reports of TV shows discussing trans people without any trans people involved in the conversation, and seemingly no actual research into trans experiences, as well as shows inviting trans people on to debate their very existence, it is at least a sign of progress that producers are recognizing this as a major major problem. Dr. Polly Carmichael is a service manager at the Tavistock clinic known as GIDS standing for Gender Identity Development Service. This is a gender identity clinic for children. She explains gender dysphoria as the impact of it well, highlighting that this would be incredibly distressing for young people. Along with Jade explaining that she did not take hormone blockers, Dr Carmichael also states that treatment is reviewed on a case-by-case basis. Mm. This goes against much of the sensationalised media that project the idea that the Tavistock Clinic is handing out hormones like Smarties, which they are obviously not. In fact, much of the treatment at the Tavistock Clinic is based around talking therapies, both individually and with the service user's family. The talking therapy is used to explore one's own gender identity, but also to support the young person in making informed decisions about trans-affirmative interventions like hormones, fertility, and surgery. The service also supports young people in social transition, a really key element of gender transition that is so frequently overlooked by media and the journalists because it's not that sensational. When discussing blockers, Dr. Devries of the Dutch clinic also points out that puberty blockers are a reversible intervention, allowing trans adolescents time to think further about irreversible interventions like cross-sex hormones. I respect that the professionals interviewed stated that actually we don't know whether hormone blockers and cross-sex hormone therapies have long-term effects on our physical health. Studies have looked into the impact of long-term hormone use in older adults, identifying that older trans adults will now present with more comorbidities that's the medical term for multiple diagnoses however we don't yet know the impact as access to people to study is fairly limited understandably this is a significant worry for both healthcare professionals and patients or prospective patients alike fortunately the current view is that the psychological benefits of hormone therapies in relieving dysphoria and supporting recovery from various mental illnesses outweighs the risks In addition, once prescribed hormone therapies, trans people are monitored using blood tests regularly at three-month intervals to ensure hormone levels remain appropriate. This also gives practitioners an opportunity to identify early warning signs of other conditions, which enables early intervention, a really crucial component of recovery outcomes. Dr. Kirkland interviews the director of Oxford University's Centre for Evidence-Based Medicine. He identifies the clear lack of high quality research available on trans children. Considering that in the 1990s only five papers were published on transgender health each year, I'm not at all surprised that is the case. When conducting my own review of the literature for my dissertation while at university, I really struggled to find papers despite a relatively very open inclusion criteria. Trans healthcare is an emerging topic in academic research, with only a very small pool of researchers studying trans health specifically. Overall, only a tiny percentage will focus specifically on children. Furthermore, with only around 0.6% of the general population identifying as trans, with that being considerably lower in children and adolescents, it's no wonder researchers are struggling to conduct research with ample sample size. I also found the segment with Professor Evans incredibly interesting. As a field of literature with little research, it was great to learn something new from his work with sheep. I decided to read his paper to find out more, as the show couldn't really go into this with the limited time available. So the study was conducted in 2014 using an MRI scanner on 41 sheep, both male and female, with 17 of those sheep treated with GNRH, the hormone used in hormone blockers prescribed to trans children. With the remaining 24 sheep as controls, they found larger amygdala in the sheep prescribed GnRH. The amygdala is a part of a brain responsible for processing emotions, particularly fear response. The researchers concluded that this difference is likely repeated in humans, quote, indicating that increasing GnRH concentration during puberty may have an important impact on normal brain development in mammals, end quote. Going on to recognise the need for further research in humans, I imagine that once there is conclusive evidence with regards to the impact on adolescent humans, the guidelines for prescribing GNRH would be reviewed to ensure they are in line with the available evidence, as is done with all medical interventions. Dr Helen Webley of Gender GP is then introduced. She's a private doctor running the Gender GP online practice with colleagues. Her practice offers young people the opportunity to start cross sex hormones at younger ages than. NHS care through the Tavistock clinic guidance suggests that the Tavistock clinic can prescribe from age 15 these cross-sex hormones but the example given by the documentary is of a parent whose son was prescribed testosterone at age 12 through gender GP. this gender affirmative approach has been incredibly controversial despite the benefits seen in many of the practice's patients unfortunately in 2018 her license was suspended by the general medical council The documentary also acknowledges that the GIDS service is incredibly strained, with waiting times reaching 15 months on average, sometimes closer to two years. This goes enormously above the NHS's standards of 18 weeks between referral and specialist assessment. These excessive waiting times come at a cost. In 2012, McLeal and colleagues published findings that included 58% of their respondents reporting a deterioration in their mental health as a result of extended waiting periods for trans supportive care. Gender identity specialist clinics for both adults and young people are under enormous pressure to meet the ever-growing demands of increased referral rates. With such a low number of specialist psychiatrists and psychologists, it's really difficult for GICs to provide their service at the necessary volume. Some of this volume is also from primary care clinicians like GPs seeking specialists for elements of gender identity care that they are actually able to do themselves, such as repeating prescriptions of hormones. This occurs largely due to the insufficient education of clinicians in primary care and has created a culture of dependence on the specialist services. Dr. Carmichael of the Tavistock states, quote, Local services need to be skilled up to be supporting young people. End quote. and this would reduce the reliance on specialists reducing some of the demand for accessing the service. I am really impressed by Ruben and Jade for so openly and eloquently expressing their experience as trans people in particular Ruben discussing the psychological impact of gender dysphoria. While acknowledging the increased suicidality and increased incidence of poor mental health is common among the trans population we can help to minimize this with the correct support. The stock is reported as believing that the available mental health statistics should be interpreted with caution. Personally, as a mental health nurse, I'm not sure that is wise, considering multiple studies have found significantly greater incidence of depression, anxiety and affective disorders, substance abuse and self-harm among transgender people. This is a seriously significant concern. For example, in a 2014 European study by Halens and colleagues, They found that transgender people of Germany, Belgium, Norway and the Netherlands were 45% more likely to be diagnosed with a DSM-5 Axis-1 psychiatric disorder compared to the general population. So what that actually means, the DSM-5 is an official catalogue of psychiatric illnesses with Axis-1 being a category within that. An axis one psychiatric disorder would include anxiety disorder, post-traumatic stress disorder, depression, bipolar disorder, eating disorders, psychosis, disassociative disorders, and conditions of substance abuse. So transgender people were found as being 45% more likely than the general population to experience at least one of those conditions in the future i would really like to take a deeper look into the links between mental illness and gender dysphoria in a whole podcast episode if this is something you'd be interested in or have any questions you would like answered please let me know by tweeting at gender in the concluding scenes of the documentary dr kirkland reveals she found it surprising how few people feel they can talk openly about trans healthcare ruben seems to sum up my own experiences perfectly He explains that we only see the extreme sides of things. Identifying that if people talk negatively of transgender people and transgender, they will be branded as a transphobic bigot. Meanwhile, anyone who is openly very positive with transgender people may be branded as a snowflake or a social justice warrior. Unfortunately, this means that those in between the polar extremes of support find it difficult to express and find their place in the conversation. Dr. De Vries of the Dutch clinic highlights that for clinicians, many are concerned to work in healthcare for transgender people, for fear of potential backlash and disproportionate questioning of their clinical practice. Overall, I think the documentary provided a fairly balanced portrayal of the experience of trans young people seeking medical treatment. The documentary did fail to acknowledge social transition, a crucial part of any trans person's transition, and the aspect emphasised in much of the practice at the Tavistock. The inclusion of trans people in making the documentary was great, but as I said earlier, I feel daft applauding the production team for this when inclusion of the subject's own experience is an aspect of documentary storytelling that appears essential. I hope that my inclusion of some of the existing evidence base has been useful in helping you, the listener, better understand what is reported in documentaries like this one and new articles as well. Speaking of new articles and the like, I feel that this documentary is another example of the British media's obsession with transgender people and transgender children. However, unlike many newspaper articles, this documentary is actually fairly well researched and informed when Panorama could have easily produced just a hot take. As always, I would love to hear what you have to say about the podcast and the episode, and the best way to do that is by tweeting me at gendermhnurse, that's M for mental, H for health. I will leave a few resources linked in the description box as well as links to the platforms you can find this podcast on so that you can subscribe, making sure not to miss any upcoming episodes. I wish you a fun week ahead and we will speak to you very soon.